Thank you, Steve. The choir always great here at First Baptist and so thankful to Wendell to share in his pulpit. Been here 25 years. Any pastor that can stay in the church 25 years, that's an amazing blessing of God to be able to do that. And I guess he came when he was still in high school if you just went to your 20th high school reunion. <laughs> and Wes, thank you for wherever you are for planning this day for college students. I certainly have good memories of days in Kasa. Had two brothers that were also Kasa's, two cousins. My mom and sister were Kai O's. Uh, had a couple of uncles that were Kappa Sigs and my two first daughter-in-laws were A.D. Pies. My third daughter-in-law is a dog, but it's not that she's ugly or anything. She just goes to Georgia. She's a fine mew. So we, uh, we have so much Greek in our family. I guess you'd think we're akin to Dr. Pastides, but we're not. But I am thankful to be here today because First Baptist is the church where I surrendered to preach and where Ann and I met and the college ministry here. So, guys, there are a lot of beautiful honeys here. You don't want to overlook that possibility. And, literally, I was just driving with a fraternity brother on Sunday afternoon. We had nothing much to do. And I said, why don't we go to the college fellowship night and scope out the honeys? It was a real spiritual uh, motivation. And we did. That's where I met Ann, and it was a very good decision. I want to talk to you today about two births that count. You may not have any idea what that's about. I hope it'll be clear as we begin to talk. But I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. Now, if you're new to Bible study, this is the fourth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And for all you fraternity guys out here, there, there's some Bibles in the P-Rack. I want to urge you to have some courage now. Pick up that Bible. It might be the first time in months, years, your life. Pick it up. It's in the pews there. And it's the fourth gospel, the gospel of John. We're going to be looking at the first 18 verses, but by way of introducing our text today, we're going to read verses 1 through 3 of John chapter 3. And in honor of the Word of God, let's all stand now for the reading of God's Word. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot See the kingdom of God. You may be seated. Father God, we know that from the beginning of time, you knew every person that would be in this place at this moment in history. And Father, it's my prayer today that all of us will move now from just thinking about coming to church on Sunday. We will be able to reflect with the wonderful music that we've already experienced. And Father, we pray that you will speak to us. We pray that we will hear from you and we will believe your word and we will apply your word to our everyday life. 
So, Father, may this be a time where every person here has a personal encounter with you through the person of Jesus Christ. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Birth is a monumental event. But as important as birth is, there's not a person here that remembers what it was like to be born. Not one. And yet, I really believe every single person in this room could tell you the date they were born and the place they were born. Because birth is a monumental event. Our oldest son already has three children, seven, five, and three. They're expecting their fourth one in a couple of weeks. And we're going to be excited about when that day comes, and we're going to always be able to remember the date of that birth and the place of that birth. So it would really be kind of fun today to get an idea of how diverse this crowd is from the standpoint of birth. So I'm going to ask you to participate here a second. I'm going to ask you to stand if this fits your category, and just remain standing till I give you an opportunity to be seated. First of all, all of those that were born outside the continental United States, could you stand and remain standing? If you were born outside the United States, look around the room, get a little idea of those who were born outside the United States. Okay, stay, stay standing. Now, all of you that were born west of the Mississippi River but in the United States, could you stand for a second and remain standing? All right, look around the room. Those of you in fraternities and sororities, you can have some good discussions about where everybody was born later today. Now, all of those that were born east of the Mississippi but north of the Mason-Dixon line, so we can see all the real Yankees here. Let's, uh, would you go ahead and stand? Look at there. All right, you get an idea of the Yankees in the room. All right, now, all those that were born east of the Mississippi but south of the Mason-Dixon line, outside of the state of South Carolina, could you stand? My goodness. I thought First Baptist was a lot of folks from around here. Look at here. All right, now, y'all remain standing. All those born in the state of South Carolina, but outside of Metro Columbia. Would you stand? Okay, everybody can be seated now. Now, this is the elect group, all of those that were born in metropolitan Columbia, South Carolina. Could you stand for a second? The, the real natives. Look at that. That's a lot of folks. Thank you very much. All right, now, if you did not stand, you are not here. Because everybody was born somewhere. And I hope you have some idea of when you were born and where you were born. But what is so interesting is Jesus Christ speaks about a second birth, a spiritual birth. Now, look in your Bible, if you will, in John 3. Look at verse 1. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs you do unless God is with him. Now, because we're on TV and time is really a factor, we'll just call him a Nick. We'll call him Nick, and we'll say Nick came at night to Jesus, and he was obviously a ruler of the Jews. He was a religious man. He knew the Old Testament. He was a Bible scholar. He was also in the Sanhedrin. What that meant it would be kind of like a combination in the United States of being in the U.S. Senate and the U.S. Supreme Court. This was a very powerful man. As a matter of fact, Nicodemus is one of the few biblical characters that is mentioned outside of biblical literature. You can read the book, The Sacred Bridge, and it talks about how he was such an elite leader of the Jews 
that he was known there in first century Judea and Israel. Now, Nick was very religious, but he was missing something. And the fact is, if you live in the South, there is a good chance that you're religious. There's a good chance that you've got some biblical background. You know something about Scripture, but you may also be like Nick. He knew the Bible. He was very religious. He was very respected, but he was missing something. And Nick came to Jesus at night to talk to him because he knew that he would be embarrassed if his friends saw him talking to Jesus, because after all, Jesus didn't have any credentials. He hadn't been to the elite universities like Nick had. He wasn't a member of the establishment like Nick was. And so he came to Jesus at night because he didn't want his friends to know. It'd be kind of like some of you would feel if you got up on Sunday morning, never go to church, and all of a sudden it wasn't Greek day, but you just show up here at First Baptist or another church in the community, wondering what your fraternity brothers, sorority sisters are going to think. Nick was searching. He was religious. He was respected. But he was missing something. And what is so interesting is Jesus doesn't respond to Nick with a conversation about the Bible. After all, this is a Bible scholar. He doesn't respond to Nick with some theological insight or questions he might have, because after all, this is a great, respected leader of the Jews. Look at what Jesus says to Nicodemus. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Listen, everybody. Listen. Are you listening? Don't miss this. Born again is not a Baptist preacher phrase. Born again is something that Jesus talks about and is central in his ministry. Born again means to have a spiritual birth from above. It is a second birth. It is a different birth from your physical birth. And Jesus just zeroes in right away. No, how you doing, Nick? I really appreciate your, what you're doing and serving in the Sanhedrin. I know you're a great scholar among men. I know you've studied the Bible all of your life. No, he just says, Nick, unless you are born again, you're not going to go to heaven. Now, can you imagine? Can you imagine in this day and age telling somebody they're not going to heaven when most people really believe everyone is going to heaven? And Jesus says to Nicodemus, look. Unless you're born a second time, you're not going to see the kingdom of God, no matter how religious you are and no matter how good you are. Well, Nicodemus is clueless. Look at verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Now, Nicodemus is taking Jesus literally. It is a grotesque picture to think about a grown man re-entering his mother's womb and being born a second time. This is an appalling picture that he has in his mind that Jesus has given to him. And so he says to Jesus, look, how can this be? He obviously has no spiritual understanding, even though he's incredibly religious and knows a lot about the Bible. He's clueless. And so Jesus begins to give him some hints. He helps him to understand. Look at the first hint, verse 5. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. Now, first hint. Jesus compares the physical birth 
to the spiritual birth. There are a lot of Bible scholars that look at this passage there in verses 5 through 7. They say, well, really the water here is referring to the cleansing of the Word of God in a person's life. And they refer to one of the epistles in Peter to talk about that. And others say, especially if they've come from a Baptist background, well, surely this is talking about baptism. It has nothing to do with baptism. What he is talking about is a physical birth born of water. He's comparing the physical birth and the woman carrying the baby. Here's what's so interesting about our birth, everybody. It's really amazing when you think about your birth. We spend the first nine months of our life like a fish in water, in the womb of the woman, just like a fish. And then when we're born, we breathe like a person. It's really a miracle, the miracle of birth. And so Jesus is comparing the birth of water to the birth of By the Spirit, he's trying to help Nicodemus with a hint. Now, when a woman is pregnant, she knows that when her water breaks, the time has come. It's about to happen. My wife began to know from the three boys we have about how long it would take when she went into labor. And she was going to get her hair cut at the hairdresser when her water broke, signaling the birth of our third son was about to happen. And... She knew about how long her previous pregnancies had been in labor, so she told the lady, said, just go ahead and give me a haircut. It'd be so long before I can come back by. <laughs> the poor hairdresser was a nervous wreck. Gave her the sorriest haircut she's ever had in her life. She was just a nervous wreck. But for most women, when their water breaks, they know it's time to get to the hospital. The baby is about to come. And so Jesus is giving Nick a hint. He's saying, look, there is a birth of water that is physical birth. There is a birth of the Spirit. And Nick, I'm talking to you about the birth of the Spirit. And verse 6 really confirms that. He said, look, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. He's, he's talking about physical life. He says, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. In other words, there's a difference in these two births. There's the physical birth. Everybody here has been born physically. We just saw that a moment ago. But there are a lot of folks here, a lot of folks here, members of this church, guests of this church, that have never experienced the spiritual birth. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Well, Nicodemus is struggling and Jesus can see the deer in the headlights look that he has. And so he gives him a second hint about being born again. Verse 8. He says, Nick, look, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but... You do not know where it comes from. You do not know where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, I could really embarrass some folks today if I would ask you to raise your hand if you've ever seen the wind. There'd be a a few fools in here that would raise their hand, bless their heart. I know they mean well. But nobody has ever seen the wind. Nobody. You see evidence of the wind. We see the leaves blowing. We see what happens from the wind, but nobody has ever seen the wind. The wind is invisible. And what is so interesting is Jesus is giving an analogy that is often found in the Bible that the wind is really symbolic of the Spirit. In other words, you feel the wind, you see evidence of the wind, but you don't ever actually see the wind. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it's going. The wind is a mystery, but it is real. When the wind is blowing in your face, it's hard to deny the reality of the wind. And so in hint number two, Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, look, the Spirit is like the wind. It is invisible. 
You will never see the Spirit, but you will see evidence of the Spirit. One of the guys that came to our church years ago said that he would get so mad as he was going on his Sunday morning jog to run down by the river, the Chattahoochee River near our church there in Atlanta. But he would get so mad because he would get tied up in traffic, all these people going into church. He would have to wait longer there at the light. Finally, just out of curiosity, he came into the church, not a believer in Christ. He came in one day and he said the thing that first struck him was the bright eyes of a lot of folks. And as he came out of curiosity, beginning to hear what was being taught and really just beginning to wonder about spiritual things, he couldn't get over those bright eyes that a lot of people had. What was he talking about? Have you ever known somebody by just being around them, you can tell by their countenance, you can tell by their eyes that they've got something that maybe you don't have? That's evidence of the Spirit. That's evidence of a spiritual birth. The Spirit is invisible. We will never see the Spirit with physical eyes, but the evidence of the Spirit, like the evidence of the wind, is very real. As a matter of fact, it's undeniable. That's why in some people's countenance, you can just, you can just see they've got something that not everybody has. And that's the hint that Jesus was trying to give Nicodemus. But look at how Nicodemus responds in verse 9. Nicodemus said to Jesus, how can these things be? Now think about it. This is a very religious man. This is a man that is a Bible scholar. This is a respected pillar of the community. If he lived in Columbia, I'm sure he would come to First Baptist or First Pres, one of the downtown churches. He would be a part of the respected establishment. But he's clueless. He has no idea what Jesus is talking about. So Jesus begins to chide him a bit. Verse 10, Jesus answered and he said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of that which we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I had told you earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And then he reveals something really amazing. Verse 13, he says, No one is ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven is the Son of Man. In other words, he identifies himself as the Son of Man. He is identifying himself as being from heaven, as being from God, as really being God. That was really a shocking statement for him to make to Nicodemus. But then he gives him the third hint. And y'all, this is a hint that Nicodemus can finally understand. Look at what he says in verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. Now, what is it that Jesus is talking to Nick about? I realize if you're not that schooled in the Old Covenant, you may have no idea what he's referring to, but Jesus is referring to something that happened to the children of Israel in the Old Testament. Now, if you got your Bible, keep your finger there at John 3 and turn with me, if you will, to Numbers chapter 21. If you're new to Bible study, the first book of the Bible is Genesis, then Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, book number 4. Numbers chapter 21, look at verses 6 through 9. Because this is what Jesus is referring to, an event, a historical event, a biblical event that Nick can understand. Verse 6, Numbers 21. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. They bit the people so that many of the people of Israel died. 
Now, why did this happen? Why did the Lord send fiery serpents to the children of Israel? Well, he was tired of their complaining. They did have a tough existence. If you've ever been to the wilderness around Israel today, it's an incredible wilderness. You wonder how anybody could survive out there a few days, much less 40 years out there. So they began to complain. They got tired of the same diet every day. They got tired of the tough conditions. And so he'd had enough, and he sent fiery serpents or poisonous snakes into the camp of the Israelites in order to bring the judgment of God upon them. Well, how did, what happens after that? Verse 7. So the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, because we have spoken against the Lord and you, referring to Moses. Intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. And so Moses interceded for the people. Now, one of the things you've got to love about Moses as a leader, the people complained time and time again, and yet he would intercede for them to the Lord as some kind of leader. I think I just want to, would have wanted to tell them off. You're getting what you deserve. God is tired of your complaining. I'm tired of your complaining. Would you just shut up? But no, he doesn't do that. Verse 8. The Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard, and it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. So Moses made a bronze serpent. He set it on the standard, and it came about if the serpent bit any man, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Everybody? Listen, are you listening? What Jesus is reminding Nick about is an event that happened to the Israelites so that they could be saved physically from death. When they were bitten by a poisonous snake and there was no hope for them living, if they would look at this bronze serpent that Moses put there in the middle of the camp, if they would look to that bronze serpent in faith, They would be saved from the poison of that snake bite, and they would live. They would not live because of anything they did other than having faith that God would heal them. So go back to John 3. Let's look and see what Jesus says to Nick once again in verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in Him will have eternal life. Now, I hope you're beginning to see the comparison. Jesus is referring to that time in his future when he would be lifted up on a cross so that anyone who looks to him in faith, believing that he could cleanse us of the poison of sin that kills us spiritually, if we look to Christ in faith, believing that Christ alone can save us from our sin. And what does sin lead to? Sin leads to death, physically. Sin leads also to spiritual death, which is separation from God forever. Jesus calls that hell. And so he's telling Nicodemus about something that is going to happen in the future that he knows Nicodemus will see in the future, and that is when the Son of Man is lifted up on that cross for anyone in the first century, for anyone in the 21st century, that looks to Christ on the cross, believing that Christ alone can save us from the guilt of sin and can save us from physical and spiritual death. When one looks to Christ in the cross in faith alone, they will be saved. That's what Jesus is talking about. And that is an analogy now that Nicodemus can at least have some understanding about, even though the event has not yet occurred. Now, the question for everybody here today is, do you believe this? 
Do you believe that what Jesus is telling Nick is really true? That unless you are spiritually born, unless you have a second birth, you are not going to enter the kingdom of God. Because all of us are separated from God by our sin. That sin caused us to have this great chasm, if you will, in our, in, when it comes to a relationship with God. And we need someone to save us from that condition. What is sin? Sin is simply doing what we want to do versus what God wants us to do. Sin is simply saying, I'm going to be in charge of my life. I'm going to be in charge of my destiny rather than trusting for God to be in charge of my life. Sin is something that we're all guilty of, and it is a spiritual poison that leads to spiritual death. And we cannot save ourselves from our sinful condition. Only the Lord through Jesus Christ can do that. That's really what he's talking to Nicodemus about. And then Jesus goes on in verse 16 and gives what is the most famous verse in all the Bible. And if those of you are back in church today and haven't been in church in a long time, you probably have heard this verse somewhere in your childhood. Verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Now let's look and see what it's saying. For God so loves the world. Who is that? Put your name in there for the world, folks. Put your name there. For God so loves Jason, Samantha, Mary, Joe. Put your name in there for the world. For God so loves you that he gave his only begotten son. That's Jesus. That whoever, that is anyone, no matter what your religious background, whether you're Hindu or Buddhist or Muslim or Jewish or have a Christian home background, whether you're agnostic or atheist, no matter what your background, whoever believes, which means trust. Now, real quickly, what is belief? If I'm standing in the Atlanta airport, which I've been doing a lot this past year, and somebody comes up and they ask me, he said, Brian, do you think that pilot, if you get, you think that pilot could get on that plane today and fly that metal tube all the way to L.A.? I say, yeah, I believe that. And then when they call for the boarding, and it's time to get on that plane to go to L.A., then I am showing real faith. So many people in the South that are cultural Christians that don't really understand what it means to be born again, they really believe a lot of the Bible. They really believe it in their mind. They believe Jesus is the Son of God. They believe Christ died on the cross for their sins. They believe that Christ rose from the dead. But it's different when we have total trust that Jesus Christ is the only way that we can be saved from our sinfulness. It's like getting on that plane, putting your whole life in the hands of Jesus. Just like getting on that plane is putting your whole life in the hands of that pilot. You are completely entrusting your whole future to the hands of that pilot. Well, that's what it means to believe. To believe is both with your head, believing what the Bible tells us about Jesus, but it is also belief with our heart where we really trust God and trust Christ alone for saving us and for giving us eternal life. We trust Christ alone to give us that spiritual birth. But look at verse 16 again. It goes on to say that whoever believes or trusts in him, referring to Jesus, shall not perish. Now, come on. Come on, folks. Let's be honest here. Every one of us are going to die. And yet this verse Jesus says, we shall not perish. What is he talking about? Remember, the whole conversation has been about spiritual things. He's not talking about physical birth and physical death. He is talking about spiritual things. We shall not perish spiritually. 
That means even when our physical body gives out and dies, our spirit is with the Lord in heaven forever and ever. We will not die spiritually. And eventually we get to experience that new resurrected body, that new body that never dies, that Jesus gives to the believer in Christ when he returns again. But when he says we will not perish, he is talking about spiritual death. There's no spiritual death. When a person has been spiritually born by trusting in Christ and the price he paid on the cross for our sins so that we can be saved from that. And then we read on. He says you have eternal life. And it's interesting. The word eternal is not just speaking about unlimited time. The word eternal is speaking about a quality of life as well as the length of the life. Now, here's what happens when a person is spiritually born and they begin to grow in their relationship with Christ. They begin to experience the abundant life, the meaningful life, the ultimate purpose in life. And the good thing about it, because they have now begun a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, they're going to experience that relationship with God forever and ever. And death will not end that relationship. Because they've been spiritually born. And Jesus goes on to make, make it clear in verse 17. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. In other words, Christ didn't come to be a judge. He came to save us from our sin so that we can overcome death, so that we can live with God forever and ever. He came to save all, whoever, will trust in Him. But he goes on in verse 18 with some very sobering words. He who believes in Him is not judged. But he who does not believe, that is, trust in Christ, has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Folks, I know that the overwhelming majority of folks here today would probably have a feeling like this. I would love for everybody to go to heaven. I mean, who wouldn't? But the fact is, Jesus says only those who are saved through faith in Him that have experienced this second birth, this spiritual birth, only those who experience that second birth and begin to follow Christ, only those are going to spend eternity with God. The rest are living under judgment. Which means if a person dies in this state where they are not right with God, where they've not had a second birth, they spend eternity separated from God. And that's very bad news. But understand that the gospel is not just good news. The gospel is good news that follows that bad news. The bad news about our sinfulness. The bad news about what happens if we don't deal with our sin problem. It follows that with the good news. That we escape the judgment of God and we have a relationship with, with the Lord for the rest of eternity. Question. Question. Did Nicodemus choose to be spiritually born? The Bible doesn't give us an absolute definitive yes or no answer, but the Bible does give some very amazing hints. We don't have time to look at the passage, but later on, read in John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verses 50 and 51, you'll see Nick begins to publicly defend Jesus in front of his peers. Now, that took a little courage. But then, after Jesus died on the cross, I want you to look at a scene. Turn to John chapter 19. Turn to the 19th chapter of the Gospel of John. Listen to this account. Right after Jesus died on the cross... One of his good friends on the Sanhedrin, Joseph of Arimathea, came to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus so that he could bury him in his private burial garden. Verse 38. 
After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews. Now, hey, hey, folks, listen now. Are you listening? A secret disciple of Jesus. Does that sound like a lot of folks here today? A secret disciple of Jesus. You don't want to tell your friends at work. Don't want to tell your friends there in the fraternity or sorority if you're a follower, a secret follower. Does that describe a lot of folks here today? And the reason he was secret was fear of his peers. But he goes on to say, this man who had been a secret follower now goes to Pilate, the Roman governor, the most powerful man in that whole region, that he might take away the body of Jesus. All of a sudden he moves from secret follower to a very public follower. Pilate granted him permission. So he came and he took away the body of Jesus. Now listen to verse 39. Nicodemus, who had first come to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. Can you imagine? Can you imagine going to a funeral home, somebody you love has died, and in the casket is a hundred pounds of Chanel number five? Just right there on the body? Imagine that, a hundred pounds of myrrh. That's really what, he was a very wealthy man, extremely wealthy man. And he is going to anoint the body of Jesus with all that perfume. So they took the body of Jesus. They bound it in linen wrappings with the spices, as was the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet laid. Therefore, because the Jewish day of preparation was coming, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Now, think about what this says. It tells us that Nicodemus has become a follower of Jesus. Question. Have you? Have you been spiritually born? Have you experienced the second birth through faith in Christ, through trusting Christ and what he has done for you on the cross? Have you experienced that second birth? The first birth, you didn't have any choice. The second birth, you have the choice. The first birth was very visible. Everybody could see it. The second birth is invisible, but there's evidence of it. Have you been spiritually born? Jesus says, unless we are spiritually born, we cannot see the kingdom of God. Folks, don't miss out on being a part of the kingdom of God in knowing the Lord forever. Let's pray together. Father God, there are bound to be people here today. There are bound to be people listening and watching via TV that know in their heart of hearts, they're just not sure they've ever had a spiritual birth. And Lord, it is my prayer today that they will look to Christ in trusting faith. And right now, they will make that decision to trust Christ alone for salvation, for eternal life, to be able to enter the kingdom of God through faith. They will be like Nicodemus who thought back to that night and the story Jesus told him about the Israelites looking at that bronze serpent and being saved from the poison of the snake bite. Oh Lord, we know that only Jesus Christ can save us from the poison of sin that kills us spiritually. Oh Lord, may there be people here today, individuals here today, that right now choose to make the decision to trust Christ alone for salvation and eternal life. Father, we pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. It's the custom in this church 
that when a person is making a decision to trust Christ or to become a new member of First Baptist of Columbia, an invitation is given now for you to come. And there will be ministers here at the front to welcome you. And if you are making a decision today to trust Christ, He tells us to be public in that decision, to no longer be a secret disciple, but a public one. The Lord is leading you in that decision today. Have the guts, have the courage to step forward and follow Jesus. Let's stand as we sing together.